0: Conspiracy
1: Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Ah, uh, Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. You found us. This is The Conspiracy Show, and we're coming to you from our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, right here in Liberty Village, uh, Toronto, Canada. 50,000 watts of peace and love, my friends. A crop circle researcher, f- uh, filmmaker Patty Greer is standing by uh, with the latest on crop circles. She has not one, but two new documentary film. When does this woman sleep? Um, uh, not very often I'm guessing, but that's Patty. She is just a, a whirlwind and a force of nature. And if you haven't heard her on the program before, you'll soon discover that for yourself. She is a very passionate, uh, woman. So we'll get an update on the latest on, on crop circle research. Um, Elbert is here running our HOA, Ian Robertson, of course, on the other side of the glass, twisting the dials and knobs, and uh, it's kind of crowded in here tonight. We've got another uh, gentleman, Jonathan Franz, is uh, with us in studio. He's um, an intern on the program, and he's been helping produce my weekly feature, Strange Planet, and he decided to come on down and uh, see how a radio program comes together. So we welcome Jonathan into the fray. Uh, please get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal uh, to this radio program. Just click on the radio page once you're on there, strangeplanet.ca. And uh, Albert and I have posted our usual assortment of stories in the slide carousel up at the top. Uh, Now, for all of you time-traveling fans, uh, there is a great piece there from the folks at um, cosmicscientist.com. Cosmicscientist.com, heralding... Possible proof that time travel to the past is, in fact, possible. Uh, physicists have been able to send particles of light into the past. I'll repeat that. Physicists are able now to send particles of light into the past. Maybe we should get uh, my good friend Dr. Dr. Ronald Millet here on the program and, and um, I'll get his take on this, of course, He has been working on a theoretical time machine at the University of Connecticut for many, many years. And uh, I would love to to, to find out what uh, Ronald has to say about this. Uh, In a most provocative piece from sciencevibe.com, NASA is proclaiming they will find alien life in the next decade. Uh, So those are just two of the stories we've posted in the slide carousel. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the radio page. I just wanted to give you a quick update on something we talked about last week. Colin Hall was with us uh, from England, and he was uh, talking about this mysterious, um, the M6 and Paris crashes. If you didn't hear the show, uh, back in November, I believe, 2009, there was a multi-car pileup on the M6 near Birmingham, England, and the crash was supposedly uh, precipitated by a blinding flash of light. This is according to uh, witnesses. Uh, then you had the crash, and the first three cars were on fire. The tarmac was on fire. Nothing unusual there. Then it gets weird. Um, supposedly, when emergency services arrived, they discovered there were no occupants in the lead three cars. Completely gone. Vanished. Uh, then, six months later, a similar occurrence near the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Same thing multi car pileup, flash of light, cars on fire, road on fire. Now, this time though, the occupants in the in the, uh, the, the first couple of cars, uh, there were fatalities, four fatalities. But the the body supposedly momentarily disappeared and then reappeared, uh, and then you know there's there's more to the story. Uh, I encourage you to Google M six Paris crashes and and Colin Hall. But last week on the show we played a a piece of supposed uh, police audio tape that has just surfaced. And I don't want to play the whole thing, Uh, Ian. Let's just give people a a taste of that. And and this is what we we heard last week on the program. This supposedly uh, is adding some authenticity or credibility. This is a police audio tape, uh, an alleged police audio tape of that M6 crash. Let's have a listen. Southbound Junction 11, over. All units, all units, we have a major incident alert on the M6 southbound
2: Junction 11. Officer at the scene requesting support, over. At the front of the crash scene, tarmac is burning, over. Support is on the way, over. The front three vehicles are all on fire.
1: No evidence of any occupants, over. All right, that's uh, an alleged police audio tape that's just recently surf- surfaced and perhaps adding some credibility, authenticity to this whole M6 uh, Paris crash uh, story that Colin Hall recounted last week on the program. Uh, then I got this email, received this email from someone named Matt. I'm not going to identify him further. He said, having listened closely to the alleged police radio audio recording during your interview with Colin Hall, I felt I needed to let you know. I'm absolutely certain that it is not authentic. I was a U.K. police officer for a year and a full-time firefighter for 15 years. I trained in the West Midlands, Birmingham, where the M6 is located. During these 16 years of operational experience, I used emergency radio procedures on a daily basis. Although it's not totally clear from the recording when a police officer arrives at an incident, he uses a state zero or code zero message uh, to inform control he's in attendance. Upon arriving at such a scene, an officer would not uh, be t- uh, talking back and forth with control on what he is coming across, at the, uh, as in the audio clip. He would have to make a quick assessment of the scene and then relay to the control what resources he required. It wouldn't be normal practice for control to tell the officer what to do as controllers are commonly, commonly civilians, although they are often overseen in the control room by a sergeant or inspector." Something about how the scene played out between the two men speaking just, not, just did not ring true. And also, the constant use of over, even though correct, sounded fake and staged. I've never heard anyone speak like that on the radio except rookies during their first week on patrol. The term RTA, road traffic accident, was used in the recording. It's supposedly from 2009. But since approximately 2000 or 2001, emergency services adopted the term RTC, road traffic collision, Because supposedly there is no such thing as an accident. Well, that's what we're told, he says. Uh, Matt goes on and um, uh, says that the audio recording as a whole comes across as a fiction. The unrealistic pace of events, the fact the officer calls in everything to the control room, uh, example, a separate call to tell them the tarmac is on fire. Uh, He said that wouldn't happen. And then receive instructions on what to do. The lack of control room call sign in the messages. The incorrect terminology and, in my opinion, the wooden unrealistic dialogue leaves me with no doubt whatsoever the recording has been faked. Uh, I hope this is of use to Colin and your listeners. And he goes on to say that he's very open-minded about these things, but he just, as someone who worked um, as a police officer and a firefighter and used, uh, you know, was involved in radio transmissions, he, he says this does not ring true. All right. A quick update for you on that. Patty Greer is one of the hardest-working Crop Circle filmmakers today. She's the filmmaker who discovered a band of coded communication between two balls of light just before they produced a Crop Circle in seconds. This incredible discovery was caught on film, uh, and um, she's made now I think she's up to about a half-dozen Crop Circle movies. Uh, She has a new one out uh, uh, called The Crop Circle Diaries. She has another new non-UFO film called Women of Today. Uh, and we'll we'll touch on that briefly, but we really want to get the latest on uh, on crop circle uh, research. And it's always a pleasure to welcome Patty Greer back to the program. Hello, Patty. How are you?
3: Good. Good evening. Hi, everyone.
1: Great to have you with us. Uh, crop Thank Circle you. Diaries. Now, I was I was joking during your intro. When do you have time to sleep? You've got uh, uh, two films coming out now, two new documentaries. Uh, tell me about the sort of the genesis of Crop Circle Diaries.
3: Well, it's actually not completed yet. My editor left um, actually four hours ago. I feel cross eyed at this point. No bad. But uh, I am hoping, and I'm pretty sure 99%, that we're going to have the world premiere at Contact in the Desert June 4th. So, Cross Circle Diaries began as my confessions of all the bizarre things I've been through. I just figured while I'm still here, I'm going to lay it down so that my friends and family that basically don't want to hear anything about crop circles and UFOs, you know, once it's common knowledge, it's going to be nice for everybody to say, oh, my God, you were telling the truth. Can you imagine, Richard, what it's going to be like when the rest of the world all of a sudden gets it and realizes the conspiracy show is now called the reality reality TV.
1: <laughs> I often wonder about that. If this becomes you know too mainstream at some point, and it will, I suppose, when the when the rest of the world catches up. That's an excellent point, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I see that as being a, a ways off. Um, so this this crop I don't circle. Think so no.
3: I mean, I think it's going to be forced on us very very soon, um, as. The currency reset happens and the political reset happens, the awakening I think is going to be shocking well it... I think very much when free energy hits it's going to be so quick that it 's shocking
1: oh absolutely uh, yeah the 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 earth is going to move under our feet uh, literally and figuratively um, mm-hmm. but so this crop circle diaries this is um It almost sounds like it's kind of a behind the scenes, um, you know, of what happened to you while you were making the other movies. Is that about right?
3: No, it's actually, um, well, I guess somewhat it is, because it's a lot of the incidents that brought these movies to fruition. Right. But ultimately, what happened two years ago, one of the very strange stories in the diaries was that I was taken to a place, I was speaking in northern Michigan, and somebody took me to a farm in the middle of nowhere to meet this woman, and I had no idea why, and it turns out that she was the secret partner of the only scientist in the world, William Levengood, Mm. that discovered that crop circles were real and proved beyond a shadow of a doubt through massive amounts of biophysical evidence, repeated experiments, which is when science says, rubber stamp, this is true. And they proved that it's a real phenomena and that it's actually really enhancing the value and quality of seeds. So I was, um, I had no idea that that's who I was with for four hours and it wasn't until I left and she handed me a goodbye book (laughs) And I gave her a copy of one of my movies that I looked through the pages and said, Oh, my God, you wrote this with a William Levengood. And she looks at the man, she said, You didn't tell her who I was? <laughs>
1: so in
3: that moment, after, you know, as I was leaving, I found out that I was with somebody really important to the understanding of crop circles.
1: They keep finding you and you keep finding them. Listen, Patty, I've got to take a quick time out. We'll come back and we'll uh, continue to talk about Crop Circle Diaries. Patty Greer the hardest-working crop circle filmmaker today. Back with more. Stay with us.
0: Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740. Or toll free at one eight six six seven forty four 4740 seven
1: forty. All right, welcome back, Patty Greer, a Crop Circle researcher, filmmaker, is uh, with us. So there you were in, in northern Michigan, and uh, you were talking about good old Lefty Levengood. good, uh, and, and some of the. Yes. And he, he was a he was a biophysicist. I mean, he was a sci- a hardcore scientist. Uh, who was
3: hardcore scientist.
1: And so people and, they started so there sending I am him with
3: his secret partner that nobody knew about. Right and she knew everything. And what she knew was that all these people that think BLT is who he worked with for all of his life, well, Burke, unfortunately, great man, had passed away. And um, Nancy Talbot and Levengood had it out in 1999, and they parted ways. And he wanted nothing to do with any of the fame and glory, and so he just went right back into the lab and uh, Nancy went off with the name, having nothing to do with Levengood since 1999.
1: So he was, so in fact, the, the be-all and the end-all of the BLT research team. It was it was Lefty Levengood, sure. essentially, yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's good you know Lefty because then you know intimately some stories about him. But what people don't know, which is blowing my mind, is what I had to yank to the front of the movie because Penny, the secret partner, goes right in and she calls him... Dr. William Levengood, Mm -hmm. and this is how the press suppressed William Levengood, was um, this bizarre story of the fact that he actually had a speech impediment. And um, when he went for his final, he, he did the college training to get a Ph.D., and when he got to the final ceremony where he had to do his presentation in front of three not judges, but whatever the word is where you present for your Ph.D., right. at the last minute, one of those three people had pulled out, had to move or something came up, and somebody was put in his place that hated good ah. And this was a really unfortunate move. On the other hand, it might have been, shall we say, a paid-for move. We don't know. But the person that came in had it against him and immediately got in his face. And that person was a competitor in the field, and he was trying to uh, come up with an answer to a very difficult plant mathematics issue. And so he threw it at Levengood for an additional Ph.D. question. And so what happened was Lefty took it on, and for the next three months he didn't eat, he barely slept, and Penny said he lost 30 pounds. And he came back to the panel with the answer, and he was correct. And the guy was so angry that he got in his face and started yelling, and Lefty started stuttering, and he couldn't say it. And the guy started yelling, if you can't answer in words, you're not going to get past with your Ph.D., and Lefty just fluttered and walked out. Oh dear! And so this was a really traumatic thing for him. Penny said it was the only time he ever felt suicidal, and he never went back. He said, I've got the education, I don't need the initials after my name, and he never went back to finish it. So it turns out he was um, the scientist for all these, he had work at all these different colleges, and was highly recognized. And he had 40 papers in scientific, magazines nature magazine and journals that were really impressive papers so he had quite the enduring career but when the national science institute i believe they're called called upon him to come to washington and speak on his theory on um again i can't say it quite right but his theory on glass really advanced science um he read the small print and it said you need to have a PhD so we officially called them and they said um, you have the education we understand you don't have the initials you are an affiliate PhD you have what we need please come and um, so they said that he could consider himself uh, call himself a doctor which he never did the PhD behind his name but occasionally he did call himself William Levengood. And because somehow they passed this huge rumor that he was a liar and a cheater and all this, they hid all the unbelievable research until now.
1: And, and some of that research, you, you, you mentioned it earlier, that he was receiving seeds uh, from places like Israel and Australia and in seven provinces in, here in Canada and across the United States and England, of course, and he studied... These anatomical anomalies in these in these crop formation plants and the soil too. He, he studied the soil too, right? Mm-hmm. And
3: mm-hmm. yeah, there were unbelievable biophysical changes in the plants that were undeniably nonhumanly able to be made. The extended nodes. So when a plant grows, um, wheat, barley, corn, and you know the the really tricky ones to bend gracefully are corn because it's so thick or canola because it's round and hollow like an inch around but when there are hundreds of thousands of them bent over and not broken something anomalous has happened. So we look at the bends which are called the bent nodes and if they are stretched and then bent that's anomalous. If they are burned that shows us that something of high heat happened within that plant So what Penny explains that their research proved was that a plant is made of cellulose, and somehow cellulose is plastic, so plants are, you know, cousin to plastic. But the liquid inside the plant, when hit with these frequencies of um, enhanced electromagnetic energies and a variety of different frequencies, they're like stacked, literally stacks of different frequencies the, the plants respond immediately, and what they proved ultimately is that crop circles are not coming out of the sky; they're coming out of the earth, and they're coming out of the earth in these spinning, counter-rotating vortices of plasma. Whole different way to look at crop circles. Mm, right. And they explain that what we have now is two counter-rotating vortices, and because they're going clockwise and counterclockwise and they're spinning very quickly, they are spitting out and pulling in a lot of matter um, with all this movement. And when you were talking about the different locations where they have experimented on crop circles, the thing that surprised me the most that she said was that the United States had some of the highest frequencies in their crop circles because we have so much open land where the winds can blow and build up um, that resonance.
1: Well, that's interesting.
3: Pretty intense. I mean, I would think England, because of all the sacred sites, but they said America. Very interesting. So more of the amazing biophysical changes was the fact that they had these hardened leaves that they found on premise in the middle of the crop circles. And so they got those in the lab, and they were like a red, thick, hard, Then he peeled it off. And within this red, thick, hard metal, it turned out to be iron ore. So he pulls it off the back of the leaf, and it resembles the leaf. It had all the... the um, cell wall pits and all the leaf um, elements of, uh, you know, where you could recognize it was the leaf. And so it had to have been molten. So this was a really big question. How is molten iron ore flowing through the air in a field in the middle of the night and it doesn't burn up the field? Right, right. Now, this just can't be human-made.
1: No. <laughs> the, the other um, thing that they discovered, and this was, I guess, earlier on, they had, they had this crop circle seed sample. Uh, they had a control sample, and they were deprived of light and water for like two weeks. The control sample died, one would assume, the, the, not the seeds, the plants, and the, and the crop circle ones not only survived, but they were thriving even though they were deprived of light and water. That's pretty remarkable.
3: Okay, you read Penny's book.
1: Well, I haven't read Didn't I've, you? I've read well I've read things about about Leavengood. I mean, I, I haven't read Penny's book. No. I just I've read I've read excerpts and things online. But that's one thing. Yeah, that...
3: you're really well read because you know a lot of these things that the public doesn't know yet. It's wonderful. And that's why you're the host. <laughs> so, yes, I this is all really relevant and important information. What they found was that, yes, the seeds inside the crop circles, he, they said no seed, no proper seedsman would give them the time of day. But being a scientist, he said, well, I have to put them in the germination chamber and experiment. So even though the seeds, it, it was actually, I think, four months that they were put in an envelope and they didn't do anything after he had put them in the germination chamber on the aluminum plate and uh, hit them with these um, Uh, what are the frequencies called? Um, I can't think of it right now. But he hit them with the frequencies. He was reproducing what was going on in crop circles and trying to see if he could make these seeds respond in the same way they were responding in crop circles. But you are correct. He He learned that he had to put them into storage for a while after he'd hit them with the frequencies and then bring them out and plant them like a while later, give them the time. And when he did, he found that they could grow with or without water, with or without sunlight, basically in any weather or conditions, they had really strengthened the power of the seeds. And they were comparing it to the fact that inside crop circles, those seeds that had been hit with crop circle frequencies could grow up to three, 30 to 400% more food with up to 75% more nutrition per seed. That's huge. Let's suppress the guy. Find something. So they sent out the secret detectives, and they found that he called himself doctor, and they used it, and it worked. And some of the top people today are still going, oh, William Levengood, he lied. He called himself a doctor, foo-foo, and they throw it away. I've been hearing it for the last month.
1: Well, did you ever find... all I can
3: say is, did Please you, wait. I'll send you a copy of the movie for free. Right. Please wait.
1: Did you ever find out who, who they they planted on that that Ph.D. Uh, jury uh, in order to to attempt to you know to to discredit him? Do we know who that person was? You know,
3: that's a very good question. Somebody should look into that. I think that's a very good question. No, I'm so busy editing and trying to mm. finish the movie. That, sure. No, that's um, not for you
1: to do. That was I, and that, this was right. at the University of Michigan, was it? The University of Michigan. That's Correct. where he got his master's. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, unbelievable. Well, that's how it happens, right? I mean, I mean,
3: that is how it happens. And you know, I guess what stuns me is how intelligent the people are that have said to me in the last month, "Oh, come on, he was debunked," and you know, they just go on and on. It's like, please stop talking. I really respect you, but seriously, you know, you took the blue pill. So punchline is, I came in the back door. I have no training. I didn't do research with all these misinformation. All I did was go lay in crowd circles and start filming the people that were in the circles with me day after day after day. And my movies just straight on tell the truth. And I have seen unbelievable suppression i've seen absolutely no income except when i go and speak and i sell a fortune in movies because people want the information but it's so amazing how funded the people are that are out here suppressing it
1: well so, you, you talked yeah, about how they tried to confusing. how they tried to stifle leavengood and discredit him uh and for you oh. it's been an incredible an incredible battle um can you share with some – some and I don't know if this is in the movie, uh, Crop Circle Diaries, the new one that's coming out. Um, and you say that should be available at, at, at Contact in the Desert in June?
3: Yes, but I think it'll be on my website in a month. And my website is right. pattygreer.net, P-A-T-T-Y-G-R-E-E-R.net. It's actually movie number eight,
1: eight. Richard. All right. Well, uh, I can't keep up, Patty. I can't ago, keep but up. But I've
3: made two in the last six months, which is just crazy. Um, so, Crop Circle Diaries will be available soon. But Women of Today, we just finished last month, and um, it was great to hear you introduce it because I thought it was my first non-UFO movie oh, yay, I've crossed over. Now people will like me again. I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, thinking of a non-UFO movie, um, you know, it kind of came in the back door, of this movie as well. But it turns out there's three women directly working on the Mars mission. So I guess it's, it's somewhat UFO. And then once I realized I had the three of them, very important women, I threw in Barbara Lamb, who's done more regressions than most on contactees. And then I stuck myself in as the contactee. I figured, why not? So, interestingly enough, we have Laura Eisenhower, who turned down her free ticket to the Mars mission, right?
1: Right. And she's the niece of of the president, right? The great-niece or the niece?
3: Great-granddaughter.
1: Great-granddaughter. Okay. Right. Yes, she's been very involved in that.
3: Eisenhower.
1: Right. Mm hmm Very involved. And
3: she is so outspoken.
1: Yes, she is that. Yeah. I've not had her on the program. I must uh, remedy that. Uh, well, well,
3: she she talks so fast that my editor was like spinning. When she walked out, he was like, and I said, it's awesome. It's perfect. And she nailed it. But the other interesting thing is I interviewed a woman from Pakistan, lovely woman, four kids. Uh, she said, yeah, yeah, the hardest thing was learning, you know, um, science from a Chinese professor when I speak pa- Pakistani. So she's, you know, but turns out she is now and has been for years building uh, space shuttles that will be taking humans to Mars within the next 15 years. They've got 60 that will be in production, and she's working between NASA and Boeing as a liaison.
1: There you go. All right. There you go. (laughs) Just another day at the office for Patty Greer. We will come back and continue to talk about uh, crop circles and other things. Stay with us.
0: Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world. ...and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with
1: Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, Patty Greer stays with us. Women of Today uh, is her new documentary. It's a non-UFO film, although, I mean, it certainly has a lot to do with, uh, with space exploration... And, ...and the principles that are involved uh, in the, uh, in the uh, documentary. Um, I was just thinking as you were talking about some of these uh, these women, uh, a woman I met recently in the Pacific Northwest in Ashland, Oregon. Her name is Asha Deliverance, and uh, she's uh, sort of in- involved in – well, she makes these geodesic domes, uh, of course, that were invented by Buckminster Fuller, and um, – these domes, she's partnering with NASA, these may actually be used for habitation uh, when, we, when we eventually colonize the Red Planet. And she, here's the cool thing of what she's doing out there. Um, they're also being used, they can also be used for emergency, emergency shelters. But she's very close to having them to the point where they can be printed uh, by 3D printers in 24 wow. hours. And she's using a magnesium oxide substrate. There's a huge controversy about uh, Portland cement, which is used, of course, in everything, to build everything. That takes – the the production of Portland cement, I've learned, takes up 15 percent of our entire energy needs just producing Portland cement. So if she can print these – imagine, you know, in a hurricane or in uh, in an earthquake place, uh, devastated by an earthquake, all you do is you fly in a 3D printer – with some magnesium oxide, and you start printing out these habitations every 24 hours. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. absolutely remarkable. But anyway, there's another one for you. If you ever do a sequel to Women of Today, Asha Deliverance, making these geodesic domes for use on the planet Mars. Um,
3: well, I hope that there's a need for more of these films because it's long overdue.
1: Just anyone, you know, just, men, women who are out there making a, making a difference. Uh, those are the people that we need to, uh, you know, we, we just lost Prince and, of course, prolific artist, brilliant artist. But we need to start paying attention uh, more to the, the people out there that are really, these are the heroes, the people that are really pushing things forward and making a difference in all walks of life, not just musicians and, and the artists. Um, so kudos to you for right. making this film. Yes. I think well, that
3: people that are really working on ascension are gonna be the most important people as we move into this three D printer era. And yes, again, we're talking about instant change when we finally bring in these new technologies. And the punchline of Crop Circle Diaries really, I'm just gonna to get to the hour fifteen moment, Penny says, We have spent the last um era wrapped around fossil fuel as the base of our societies, the next societies are going to be based on plasma science. Mm, Right. Because plasma, when we learn to manipulate it, measure it, then we're going to be able to use the 3D printer and recreate anything. But we're going to be able to do it literally with our mind. This is very advanced, but again, it's the new paradigm, and we're just so on the edge and all of these amazing scientists and discoveries, um, you know, we're just peeling off the suppression now. But I think that's my piece. And the way I met Levengood, it was so bizarre that I was taken to Penny's to meet her. I didn't know who she was. The man brings me back to the hotel because I had to speak at 9 in the morning for this event. There was all these psychics and healers, and they had all their tents. So he drops me back at the front door of the hotel, and these two psychics are standing out front, and they're watching me walk up, and one of them just starts laughing, and I said, what's so funny? She said, the tall man next to you with the silver hair and silver goatee. And I looked left and right, and I said, excuse me? She said, there's a tall man that walked up with you. He has a message. Can I give it to you? Uh. Okay. She said, he wants you to know that he orchestrated this, and he's really glad it worked. And I said, excuse me, hold on, I'll be right back. And I ran through the parking lot, jumping up and down, trying to catch this man's attention. And he backed up, saw me in the rear view, and I'm panting. And I said, what did William Lovengood look like? And he described him, and I said, oh, my God, he's here. This just happened. And a month later, when I went back to the farm, the first night I was there, I saw him walk through the door, and he said the same thing to me. And I'm looking at a hologram. And I'm laying in the bed just going, oh, my God, I do believe this. <laughs> I'm seeing it with my own eyes. And that's how I met William Levengood.
1: And William Levengood is then, do you think, going back now a number of years, has, has he been sort of guiding you from the get-go? Because you always felt like you, know, you were I being led and wonder. pushed. And, yeah.
3: I have to wonder. I mean, for 33 years, I played music, and then um, it was cut short from Mercury Poisoning, and then I started making music, uh, movies, and all those years of music, the four CDs, are the soundtracks for the movies. How did I know? <laughs> Let's see, that started at six years old, so have they been working me that long? I mean, I gotta wonder.
1: Well, it's like the yeah, it's a fifty-year plan. <laughs> uh, tell me about these, right? the the um, these codes uh, that that have been deciphered that you say could lead to the development of, of these advanced technologies. I think you just hinted at what. I mean, what are these codes? What are we talking about here?
3: Well, um, for example, and I don't know if, if I'd say codes for free energy. What we've seen is schematics. What we've seen is like an image, and for me, this was really a shocking story. In 2014, I took shot Sasha Stone into a crop circle, and it was this beautiful pattern. We saw it from the air; it was like jumping up and down, exciting. So we we got the crew and the drone, and it's a beautiful day. And I'm just, I said to Sasha, oh, the hair will stand up on your arms; you get chills and goosebumps. And wait till you feel this; it's so great. So we walk into the formation, and I'm totally numb. I'm like, oh, my God, no goosebumps, no chills. What, am I too focused on producing film that I'm not feeling this crop circle? And we get to the back circle, and Sasha and I go on camera, and we unfortunately agreed. I said, I got to tell you, there's a hill fort up there and a sacred site over there. We're on a ley line, so, you know, that's all true. And we're in over an aquifer of water, so that's, that's the crop circle, but... I'm not feeling it. I just don't feel any physical sensation. And there's these five women sitting in the crop circle in the big circle in the back. And so um, we turned the camera off, and I looked at the women, and I said, do you have anything to say? And the one woman goes, heck, yeah, we do. This is our circle. And I said, "Uh, are you okay if we film you? She says, sure. So we hit the camera on, and she, she says, we are the quantum energy generator team, the QEG team. And we were yesterday in the Avery Stone Circle sitting having a meditation with our technical team. And so there's 10 of us or 12 sitting around a circle praying for an affirmation, a crop circle that will confirm that our that our device is spot on. Okay, let me and just jump, jump in, Patty. Pat-
1: Patty, I apologize. i got to jump in here. We'll take a break and we'll finish this story up when we come back. Stay with us. The truth will set
0: you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free
1: 1-866-740-4740. Just a reminder, if you go to the strangeplanet.ca website and go to the live events page, uh, coming up Saturday, May 21st, Saturday, May 21st, I will be hosting an event... Featuring David Polides, uh, the author of "Missing 411 Canada," you've heard him on Coast to Coast. David Polides, "Missing 411 Canada": These strange disappearances all over the national park system in Canada, the United States—really creepy stuff, fascinating. And um, this is a conspiracy culture uh, presentation. I will be hosting that again. is Saturday, May 21st. Just go to the uh, Strange Planet ca live events page for more info all right patty greer uh, is with us and uh before we were so rudely interrupted patty you were telling us so you're you're in this crop circle you're not feeling the, the energy that you would normally expect to feel when you walk into a crop circle and there are these five right. women there now who they were part of what team what did they call themselves
3: they're the qeg crew the quantum energy generator it's another free energy group we've got the Serial Effect Generator team, we've got the QEG, the Cashew, we've got all these different groups that um, are so close to really nailing it. So we're meeting the QEG. They had just had a meeting with their crew in the Avery Stone Circle the day before, and the following day, they're in their crop circle three hours away, and we meet them, and we're I'm saying, gosh, this crop circle is fantastic looking from the air. It's got every element of being a real crop circle. It's over an aquifer. It's on a ley line between sacred sites. And I'm not feeling it. So the ladies say they hold up a photo of their device, the QEG, and the next lady holds up a photo of the crop circle we were in from the air, and it was almost identical, Richard. And it's in my new crop circle diaries movie, three in a row. Where you see the QEG and its crop circle. But there's also the SEG, the serial effect generator, and its crop circle. And then there's also an Italian motor and its crop circle. So, in other words, we need so to explain
1: we... this, Patty. We need to explain this that the, the crop, these formations, are perhaps schematics uh, for these devices. to to help us create these free energy devices or uh, some other device, advanced technology.
3: Correct. Yes. And a lot of the crop circles that are sacred geometry, if we put a nail in the middle or a pin in the middle and spin that crop circle, what you're looking at is propulsion. And I did it to 60 of them, and what you're looking at is propulsion. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong on some, but not all
1: of them. Why? Why so didn't you feel so the energy though? When you went in, why? I don't. I not understand why you didn't feel the energy. When oh, you went in.
3: thank you. So let's get to the punchline of these layers of different frequencies that Levin, Good, and Penny came up with. Because here we are in a crop circle that is actually a real crop circle. There were humans meditating, asking for a crop circle, and then the next day, the circle makers delivered it. Well, what we found with Levengood's research was that crop circles are coming out of the earth. They're not coming out of the sky. They're coming out of the earth. So it is actually, initially, and in all crop circles, they're initially coming out of the earth, and I'm just going to say the earth is alive she is alive. We call her the mother. So the earth is alive. She's speaking to humanity and the skies because they see the crop circles also. And almost every crop circle comes through an aquifer of water. And so those geometries and codes go out into the waters, into the tributaries. So basically, these crop circles are messages from the mother But occasionally, humans are meditating and ask for a crop circle, so we've got elements of human consciousness. And then there's also crop circles that we go in and we get dizzy, chills, goosebumps, tingles, hair stands up, really high electromagnetic field. Those are most likely extraterrestrial enhancements. Ah, So there's ET, there's human consciousness, and there's always the Earth. So when we look at different crop circles, many of them we say, oh, humans were involved. It's fake. Well, guess what? It's really not. It came out of the earth in counter-rotating vortices, most likely, and it spun. And when Levingood and Penny described as these rotating, counter-rotating vortices are spinning, they're on a the ley line, they're pulling in and they're sending out because they're going in both directions, and then they're building, so if, in fact this is true, then I think this is how it's happening. The messages have been predecided by the Earth and ETs or the Earth and humanity, if we were praying for it, whatever. The moment it comes out of the Earth, it's spinning. And then it pulls in the frequencies that were pre-agreed from human consciousness, and it keeps spinning. And these are when Penny said these different frequencies have very clear and distinct boundary conditions because they are different frequencies coming from different places. Now, occasionally, you'll get a group of people praying, you'll get ETs needing a star map somewhere, or they're just assisting, so you've got a huge buzz and a relation to humans, and so all three elements are involved in the creation of this crop circle. So are you saying... And then when you look at...
1: Unless it comes, unless there is involvement in the formation of this crop circle from above, you're not going to feel that energy. Is that what you're saying?
3: That's what I'm saying. I think that a lot of times when humans make them, you'll see broken wheat, and so we immediately dismiss it as a not-real crop circle. And this particular one that the QEG were sitting in with these photos I was like, "Yeah, this is you know broken wheat, human made," and I was dismissive. On the other hand, I look at it differently now with this research, which says that humans are part of this.
1: Right. And when you're saying so human involvement, ahead. you're not talking about strapping boards on on shoes. We're not talking about a, a hoax here. You're saying the human involvement here has to do with their human the the, the the intention, the power of intention. No. No. Talking
3: about boards and ropes strapped to their feet and humans that had a dream last night because it's not just me and you that they have chosen to do this work they also choose really talented artisans who are willing to have the dream and see that formation strap on boards and ropes the next day go out and make them now i thought those were fake
1: oh i see on what the you're other saying hand, okay i got you yeah
3: I mean, I'm trying to stretch my brain. The three weeks when I went back to the farm, I literally held my head in my hands. Penny blew my mind. It actually hurt my head to think this differently. But human-made crop circles are not all fake because a lot of them were asked for by humans. And if they really do represent something that, that we have seen somewhere or it's an important message, It's interesting to realize that there's a lot more that are real. Where do we draw the line with real? But human consciousness is also involved. Now, I don't really think that really broken and chopped up crop circles are going to be considered real. But a lot of the ones that um, I know that in my Crop Circle Diaries movie, I remembered where I was taken. And somebody showed me the work of an artisan, Ariel Ali, and I saw these paintings and I was like, oh my God, this is the place. It was a crystal castle. It was underwater. Oh my God. And the very next morning I woke up and the circle makers in England delivered a crystal castle with five drops of water underneath. And I'm flipping out going, oh my God, this is a message. Don't tell anyone I said this. And then I looked and I was like, oh my God, this is the only circle of the whole summer crop circle without a circle. It had rectangle stars, drips of water, but not a circle anywhere. And the very next morning, they did a huge circle above the crops of the Crystal Castle, a huge circle with a goddess inside. I kid you not. Hmm. I was in tears. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not imagining this.
1: Just to clarify then, Patty, these schematics, the ones that that, um, mirror these advanced technology, these pieces of advanced technology. Where are they, where, where are they coming from? Is, is Are they uh, from from Mother Earth? Are they from the sky? Are they an interaction between humans, the sky, and Mother Earth?
3: I'm going to guess it's all three. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm guessing all I have is my perception. But what we have here is a human team working on it, and we've got um, – I didn't go in the um, – all three of the formations. I actually was in the serial effect generator formation, and that one was very buzzy. Yeah. So, that one was up on the sanctuary. So, again, I really think it's all of us. And the messages are also for all of us. And water is also involved because they're always over an aquifer and the messages go out into the water.
1: So is that suggesting, then, that these advanced technologies are already part of our collective unconscious? We just need to pull it out somehow?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the geometries have been laid in mandalas for hundreds of years. I think everything's been in plain sight. And when we realize what's right there in front of us, we're just going to go upside our own head. Like, how did I not notice this? And that's why when I do my talks, when I do my movies, in the, not this one, this one's a science, but all my previous movies are all crop circles. They say, don't talk a lot, talk in crop circles. So I do want to encourage your people to go look at the films on pattygreer.net. There's six of them, eight of them now. Uh, soon to be, but there's seven available. And the ones on Crop Circles, the Crop Circle Update, the wake up call, is a condensed version that won a lot of awards, but it explains up until what we know now. Um, really what it's like in the fields and just how beautiful they are. You know, we've been so scientific this whole show because I'm wound up with, you know, this new science from Levengood and the fact that he was suppressed because what he proved was too important for humanity at the time. But now that we're pretty much banning GMOs across the planet, other than, of course, my country that's owned by that corporation, mm. um, we're going to need these technologies to enhance the food supply and to make these seeds unstoppable.
1: Well, that's the other and thing we, we didn't get to, resources. is that, that, I mean, I think Leavengood was also, you know, able, able to reproduce the effect on seeds and crops in a laboratory that was uh, inside the crop circle. So anyway, Patty, we'll leave that for another time. Patty, thank you so much. PattyGreer.net. Please get on there and support uh, Patty and her work by uh, purchasing her documentaries. Patty, always a delight. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Richard. You're a doll.
1: All right. My website is StrangePlanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Sarratt and as always, follow the truth.
0: Listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Earth, the Conspiracy Show, with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio.
1: Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your taxi cab, RV, camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Uh, to those of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, right here in Toronto, Canada, I bid the welcome. Uh, those checking us out on one of our affiliate stations on both sides of the border, uh, the Zoomer radio app, the Conspiracy Show app, free downloads both, uh, the podcasts, of course, those watching um, on our, uh, our Hangout on air, uh, wherever and, w- and however you're listening, I, uh, I bid thee uh, a very warm welcome and uh, great to have you here. Thanks for your fine company. Uh, the other day, I, uh, I received a kind of a, a cool surprise. Um, van I'm not a, a comic book aficionado by any, you know, means, but um uh, Van Jensen and Pete Woods of DC Comics of fame. Uh, van Jensen is uh, the writer, uh, Pete Woods is the illustrator and they are behind some of the more uh, popular DC comics. Uh they have created a brand new comic series called Cryptocracy and they sent me this email. Uh, and I'm in the first issue. I'm featured in the very first issue. It's not out yet. It will be out in July, and I tweeted the cover art uh, for this new comic, and I'm told uh, around July it'll be available in comic book stores around the world, and it's uh, beautifully illustrated, obviously, and a really cool storyline, and uh, I don't play a huge role. I don't want to mislead you, Um, but I am in there, Uh, and the idea is... I'm sort of on a watch list because I'm a conspiracy show, you know, t- or conspiracy talk show host, and I'm exposing some of the things that this cryptocracy um, is on about, and so I'm on this watch list along with people like George Norrie and and uh, Art Bell and and Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero and uh, uh, Jesse Ventura. <laughs> so I'm in pretty fine company. We're all being watched by this cryptocracy, uh, so. Uh, If you want to uh, check it out or or find out more about this new comic book series, you can go to darkhorse.com, darkhorse.com. And uh, I've also, I I mentioned I tweeted the uh, the cover art. It's on there somewhere. Uh, Mark Capel is uh, standing by on the line from his home in New Zealand to talk about something we haven't actually discussed on this program before. I'm not sure why, but it's the Skinwalker Ranch, the legendary... Fabled ranch located in, uh, in Utah, uh, which is a real hotbed that's an understatement of, of paranormal uh, activity. UFO sightings, uh, cryptids, Bigfoot sightings, for example, uh, skinwalkers, this Native American legend that, that uh, uh, Native Americans are able to, uh, certain Native Americans have this ability to shape shift and so forth. Uh, poltergeist activity. I mean, you name it. Everything in the kitchen sink in terms of the paranormal has been seen, experienced, documented at the Skinwalker Ranch. And um, we'll we'll get into that in just a few moments. Uh, I mentioned the HOA earlier. Let me remind you about our Hangout on Air and how it works. If you want to participate and watch a radio program, it's kind of cool, you just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. Let me spell the last name, S as in Simon, Y-R-E-T-T, and at the top or near the top of my feed, you'll find a tweet containing a link to the HOA. You just click on it, and you're in. Uh, Also, uh, I want to direct you to the live events page again, uh, strangeplanet.ca, and there are all my upcoming events, May 21st. David Polides, the author of Missing 411, Canada Missing four one one. I uh, will be here, and this is a conspiracy culture presentation, and I'll be hosting. You can get more details right there, live events page, strangeplanet.ca. And, and the the whole uh, Missing 411 series of books, really creepy, these unexplained disappearances uh, of hundreds of people in national parks across North America, and the the people that run the National Park Service, they don't want to talk about it. They don't know, they don't want us to know about it. But there are these amazingly creepy uh, stories of people just vanishing and then reappearing in the most unlikely of places. Uh, Anyway, if you enjoy that kind of thing, then you're going to enjoy uh, David Politi's coming to town May 21st. And talking about creepy and mysterious, let's talk about the Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, Mark Capel is originally from New Zealand. He's actually a dual citizen New Zealand and the United States. He's lived around the world on sea and land. He's a licensed technician class ham radio operator, certified scuba diver, graphic artist, videographer, photographer, paranormal researcher, investigator, UFO hunter, drone operator. He's written a paper on near-death experiences, a newspaper journalist, an honor student while he attended Brigham Young University, and an independent filmmaker, an amateur aerospace inventor, As a boy, Mark had a keen interest in the space sciences and expressed uh, that to his deputy principal in the school he attended in Auckland, New Zealand. In conversation, he said he would like to send something into space. And this led Mark to be the creator of Black Sky Project, the world's first prototype near-space balloon solar rocket, made mostly from off-the-shelf parts and devices that can be purchased online. The goal of Black Sky Project is to test a prototype propulsion system to discover if it's possible to use such a craft for high-altitude experiments, observations, and possibly break some altitude, altitude records in the process. Wasn't that what they were trying to do with those high-altitude observation balloons at Roswell? <laughs> uh, potentially, it will create a new category of unmanned near-spacecraft and may be the first balloon to rocket into space under its own power. Now, that's just cool. He's also been involved in clearing negative energy from several people's homes, including a doctor and a dentist having been a victim of, including a poltergeist in New Zealand, supernatural attacks. Mark has compassion for those dealing with supernatural energies. He's also about helping the lost souls out of their mental prisons if they want or need help. Skinwalker Ranch, known as one of the hottest zones in the world, in the world for paranormal activity, as I mentioned, including UFOs, poltergeist activity, big, Bigfoot-like creatures, interdimensional portals and cryptids. Uh, became a new topic of study in 2013. There have been various books, TV, and radio shows about the property that the Sherman family, who was a cattle rancher, uh, they were terrorized and moved from this uh, area in 1996 after having lived there approximately two, after having lived there for about two years, and at that point, billionaire and entrepreneur Robert Bigelow purchased the property from the Shermans to study the phenomena with his team of uh, doctorate-level scientists. It's the area of the uh, Ute, uh, Indians and has a high amount of UFO sightings by the people that live in the area. Uh, neighbors have witnessed similar phenomena as the uh, Shermans had, as well as cattle mutilations. Uh, but the intelligence seemed to outwit the researchers and camera technology. Upon a three-day visit, Mark experienced EVPs, electric or electronic voice phenomena, and a likely Bigfoot encounter, as well as capturing light anomalies on camera. And he's here to tell us about All of this, uh, which he has documented in his new documentary film, Skinwalker Ranch, Apocalypse, Close Encounters, which includes ghostly voices, out-of-place anomalies, interviews with locals, as well as as a possible Bigfoot encounter. Wow. Can't wait for this conversation. Mark Capel, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
2: Hi there, Richard. Uh, Thank you for uh, having me on your show. I'm doing uh, pretty good.
1: Now, where have we reached you tonight? Are you in New Zealand? Uh, yes, I am talking to you from Auckland, New Zealand. Wonderful to have you with us. And um okay, so um we talked a little bit about Skinwalker Ranch and I I I'm not sure why we've never discussed this on the program, but it's high time and uh we're we're going to remedy that tonight. Uh, tell me about your your first trip there uh, to to uh, to, uh, to uh, Skinwalker Ranch and what what took you there.
2: Well, um uh, back in 2013, um I had had a close encounter uh, with a a silver oblong-shaped craft uh, over in the southern Nevada desert when I was uh, prospecting. You know, I had all my gear on. I was out in the desert. And um, that experience kind of really shook me up. Um, I've had many supernatural experiences growing up, uh, as you've read, and uh, uh, I became very interested in ufology and... um, I actually uh, went to a lot of uh, MUFON events, and uh, I, I would go out sky-watching with the uh, Las Vegas UFO hunters and uh, uh, saw some very interesting things. And uh, I, I found out about uh, Skinwalker Ranch. I, I believe it was one of uh, George Knapp's um, uh, old radio broadcasts. About oh, him. yeah.
1: He's been on the forefront, really, of, of investigating that. That's for sure.
2: Oh, yes. Yes, it's, it's fascinating uh, story, uh, you know, it's, it's so much happened there that it's, uh, you know, I can understand why people would, um, uh, you know, listen uh, with uh, disbelief uh, unless you had something happen yourself.
1: So how do how does one, I mean, do you have to be invited to go out? It's, it's still owned by Robert Bigelow, is it not? Uh, from my understanding, he still owns the property. Uh, I don't know if
2: uh, if uh, NIDS, uh, the National Institute for Discovery Science, has team i don't know if they if they are doing any more um observations Uh, i know his uh security guards uh, do take reports but uh, my understanding that he still owns the property uh it is a formidable place to go to you go there uh when we went there um uh, i believe it was on the saturday and um uh, the the guards came up to the front gate and this, they steered us down. They actually sent black dogs out at us, running up to us. We were parked on um, public land, uh, public road there. Uh, they've uh, actually put barricades, and there's all these no trespassing signs. Uh, there's so many no pre- trespassing signs there. It's, uh, it's kind of amusing when you see that. But uh, <laughs> Sounds uh, like Area
1: 51. It is. Uh, it's pretty much the Area 51 is paranormal. So you weren't – obviously you weren't invited. You weren't expected. You just showed up. But, I mean, wouldn't it have been easier to just to get permission, or is that not possible these days, to get permission to go there and, and investigate?
2: Uh, good question. Uh, it would be pretty much impossible. Uh, the only uh, person uh, – the only reporter that's uh, been on there has been George Knapp. Um, everybody else, uh, I believe uh, – Joe Jr. Hicks, a uh, retired school teacher. I believe that uh, he was allowed on the, the property in the early days, but uh, from my understanding um, outsiders
1: are strictly forbidden. All right, and, listen, uh, We're going to take a, a quick time out, Mark. When we come back, sure. uh, we will uh, delve into what you actually encountered at the legendary Skinwalker Ranch uh, in Utah. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away.
0: When in doubt, Blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416 360 0740 or toll free at 1 866 740 4740.
1: Welcome back. Mark Capella is with us. Skinwalker Ranch Apocalypse Close Encounter is the new documentary, and we'll tell you how you can uh, see that uh, in moments. And uh, so this was, what, 2013 that you went out there? That's correct, yes. And, again, uninvited, so you're met with uh, sort of a flanks of security, uh, attack dogs and don't trespass signs and keep out and barbed wire and all of that. But, but one would have to think that, uh, you know, whatever is going on at Skinwalker Ranch doesn't just end at the fence line. I mean, this there must be something you know, that's spilling out over the actual boundary of the Skinwalker Ranch that you would be able to observe? Is that the idea, what you were anticipating, that you, as long as you're in the area, you're going to be able to, you know, to see something, experience something?
2: Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, many people have had experiences uh, in the um, outlying properties around there. Um, I did interview with um, Larry Sisbeach, who's a spiritual leader of the uh, U-Tribe. Locally there, and uh, he was telling me about about some of his experiences. Um, that according to the Ute, there's always been very strange anomalous activity that's uh, taken place there. So when I uh, left to go there with my girlfriend, um, I figured, well, there's you know there's a, there's a chance that something may or may not happen um, of property. Now I know there are people that do trespass, but it's very dangerous. Uh, it is guarded by Ex military guards uh, who probably get very bored um, guarding the uh, boundary.
1: No question. And you had a, your girlfriend agreed to go with you.
2: Uh, yes, she's pretty brave. Um, actually, the uh, year before, um, she saw someone almost get killed with me uh, during a paranormal investigation. Uh, I, I have a YouTube channel, and uh, a man, when when you actually got lured up uh, a ladder, uh, over the ghost box, you can hear the conversation, um, and uh, he actually got pushed on the edge of this uh, uh, platform inside this mine. So yes, she's pretty brave to come with me, and I did tell her that I I have a lot of um, um, experience with um, paranormal activity, and that uh, she sh- shouldn't be too surprised if she should happen to see ghosts.
1: And how? Where were you staying? Were you camping out adjacent to the property, or how, where were you staying?
2: Um no we just uh stayed in a uh, local motel um uh, however uh at night we did um go and um park in legal areas uh you know we didn't uh, trespass the boundary there we uh, we we got as close as we could uh which you know happened to be like a mile, a mile and a half away that's yeah, a pretty good distance but right. people do have experiences there
1: And the ranch is what about 450 500 acres uh, it's about 480 acres. Okay. All right. So the tell me so you've got uh you've got what infrared cameras that sort of thing. How are you how are you hoping to document whatever you might see?
2: Well, um I went there with, with the point of whatever happens, I want to capture it on video. Um I had uh, an array of different kinds of cameras, I had a Spectacam. cam that's used to go something that actually tracks any kind of movement uh full spectrum i had a um an infrared uh point of view camera that i uh, had on my head that i wore um I only had a battery life of about two hours but uh, uh I did actually capture some strange things that happened uh, and then of course i uh, you know i had audio recording devices i had my s l r that would uh I would do star lap photography I was hoping to capture maybe something like UFO like or something
1: any uh any weapons i mean how how did you intend to defend yourself if if need be not necessarily from the guards on the Bigelow ranch but I'm talking about you know whatever you might find out there
2: well um I went there I actually did practice some um, some self protection rituals uh, i've I've had uh problems with entities in the past so i I I know how to deal pretty well with them, um, so I, I did go there um, with that in mind. That was one of the foremost things was was safety. Now, when I went there, it was actually very windy. Um, it, it was kind of very frustrating because, you know, wind does come across microphones very uh, very annoyingly
1: loud. That's true, right? Unless you have like a windsock or something on there. All right, so let's let's cut right to the chase and tell us about uh, the first night that you actually captured something on, on on video or on some sort of a recording device. What did you see? What did you hear?
2: Well, um, as I say, it was windy. It was so windy, um, my car was rocking uh, sideways. Uh, um, and I actually went to the spot called uh, Southern Vantage. Um, and that is about a mile and a half from uh, south from the Skinwalker Ranch. And uh, I actually went uh, and just sat uh, in the open desert, uh, and I had my cameras all set up. Um, you know, I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. I, I tried not to have any expectations. Uh, of course, when you're in the in, in darkness like that, you, your mind can kind of uh, play tricks on you. However, I did notice these strange light anomalies that would come up close to me and would shoot straight past me, and I thought, well, you know, maybe it's something just, you know, blowing past me in the wind. Now, the funny thing about this one particular anomaly that I captured uh, on my side uh, point-of-view camera was that it actually flew against the wind. The wind was very gusty. Any bird or insect would have just been blown Of course. Uh, I thought that it was possibly car headlights from behind me, but when I uh, estimated on on Google Earth, just the the angle that they came at me, uh, it didn't match that, and... uh, this anomaly uh, actually lit up my face as it went past. Now, it happened very quickly, and um, I I did reviews of the, the footage, and it, it just comes across as kind of very strange and unusual.
1: And, uh, I mean, what would differentiate, other than the you say the angle wasn't right, what would differentiate these from, from head, car headlights? Did they, w- were they, like... Was there a pair, a pair of them? I mean, headlights, right? You've got two. They're, they're sort of locked in position. I mean, were, they, were these lights flitting around? Were they, uh, were they in straight lines?
2: Well, uh, what I saw was uh, and actually just a single light, um, and, and it came straight head-on to me, uh, almost like a, uh, a motorcycle uh, headlight. Now, it moved very quickly. Um, and then it kind of went sideways. It, it turned, like, right in front of my face. And if if if, if you look at the, the video in my documentary and you, you know, you look at – I slide it down, down. Uh, you can see the side of my face gets lit up by the anomaly, and uh, it goes straight past me like it was deliberate. Now, if it had been car headlights, you know, I, I should have had been able to see something in front of me that it would have reflected off. But there was nothing – directly in front of me that would have lit up like that
1: and presumably if it was a motorcycle you would have heard it uh uh you know at night in the desert sounds travel great distances i do know that Uh, okay so so then what other experiences did you have did you i mean let's let's talk about uh this bigfoot sighting this bigfoot encounter that you may have had
2: Yes, um, that occurred on the second night. We uh, went to a, a different location uh, known as um, UFO Hill by locals. Uh, this is uh, about uh, about a mile and a half or so um, northwest of Skinwalker Ranch. Now, you can't see the actual ranch itself from this vantage point. However, you can see the The sky is directly above it, and the ridge, and there's actually uh, an array of power lines right by there, and there's the the occasional house um, out there on the the property. Um, Now, we had set the cameras up uh, on top of this hill. Now, there was a very steep drop uh, right below where we were. It was about a 40, 50-foot drop, very dangerous. You know, you don't want to stand in the wrong place. Uh, I had set up all my cameras. And um we actually had a, a tribal police officer pull up and started taking photos of my car. Uh he didn't see us up there. I, I carefully approached him and just let him know who we were. But however, um we uh you know, when I went back to recording and that, uh we were just, you know, sitting there just kinda of watching the cameras and uh Michelle was uh I had my X A ten um H D camera that she was kind of uh focusing on the tripod and that and all of a sudden we hear this, like an explosion, and, um, and, and we caught this on the sound on two cameras, um, and it was weird. I was like, what on earth was that? And, you know, you know trying to think logically, well, okay, you know, maybe it was a battery pack that had exploded. So I went and checked my uh, battery packs. No, they all worked. And um, I really had to scratch my head about that. I really, you know, I didn't know what to make of it. I mean, there was a utility pole close to us. So I thought, well, you know, maybe there's something electrical. Um, but it wasn't until I actually went over the, the footage that you know, I realized what it was. Now, I'd, I would like to make a side note here that uh, as we sat in this, this place, um, we heard some very strange animal noises. Um, and I thought, well, you know, there's all kinds of animals out here. You know, it could be anything. Well, I heard something that sounded like I could best describe as like a Wookiee, a Wookiee of Star Wars. Um, not long after I heard this explosion
1: sound, a Wookiee. That um, would be that would be uh, like Chewbacca, right? Is he a Wookiee? Chewbacca, Wookie? correct. Okay. Yeah. I mean, right. that's
2: the best I can describe the sound. You know, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's another explanation for what, what the kind of animal this was. I I did put the footage up online um, to see if anybody could, uh, you know, would recognise it. No one's come forth to recognise it, and I did contact some um, Bigfoot researchers, and nobody. Nobody responded as to what it was.
1: You mean you so, put the audio? The audio is what you hear. You don't see anything. You just hear the this 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 sound.
2: Correct. Right. Yes. It's um, it just it was really weird. I mean, I've never heard anything like it before. But you know, I'm not used to the wildlife there in Utah, so I figured, well, you know, maybe it maybe it was some kind of wildlife. But it just it was kind of weird, you know, and especially with the, the situation. Um, um, now also I've done uh, ghost box sessions too I don't know if you've heard of the ghost box before, like Frank Frank's
1: I, box uh, sometimes referred to as Frank's box is that the same thing
2: uh, yes yes okay. pretty much I mean there's different kinds that you can get but I used uh, Faraday material to kind of block out most of the radio signals because that gets very confusing but um, I've got very strange recordings um uh, EVPs that I picked up and I uh, picked up like growls and, um, uh, I got one voice that picked up and said hi Mark <laughs> and this,
1: this is near okay. the ranch you're talking this isn't, a, this isn't a, a previous investigation this is at the near the ranch
2: um, This was uh, at that, that location on right. UFO Hill that okay. I picked up hi Mark and um, I, I picked up um, other things like uh, uh, one voice said monocular and I, because I, I asked, I said, you know, will you guys please show me some sort of UFO craft? And a voice that comes across it says, yes. It was really weird. And then it said, another voice said, monocular. Well, I've got, you know, monocular there. I've got a digital night vision monocular. You know, so it's like describing my equipment.
1: Hmm. Now, uh, aside from those EVPs. Uh, anything further to the, the the but the possible Bigfoot encounter? I mean, did you see anything?
2: Um, no, I can't say I've saw anything visually. I mean, it was just uh, audio. I I did have the strange feeling up there of being watched by something, and it was kind of an eerie feeling. I thought, well, maybe it was something you know, kind of psychological. You're you're out in the wilderness in a very dark area and uh, where things happen. That you know, maybe it was something psychological, but. uh what was just weird was just the uh, you know going back over the the footage and uh that sound was actually the sound of a rock hitting the ground it was a a pretty large rock um you know as a kid i we we used to throw stones at each other um with the neighborhood kids and and um so I'm familiar with you know what rocks sound like when they get thrown, but this thing was pretty loud i mean it was like an explosion, so uh, whatever threw it. Had some strength to it, and uh, you know, I surmise it must be something like a like a shot pot kind of weight. And you know, those, those aren't you know, those aren't easy to throw. And this was being
1: like. thrown in your direction.
2: Yes, right by us.
1: Well, we've heard countless stories about uh, Sasquatch or or, or Bigfoot uh, throwing rocks. They do like to throw rocks.
2: Yes, that's, that's very true. That is um, one of the signs of, um, you know, Bigfoots, uh, you know, they're missing with you or they're testing you out. And, you know, the funny thing is I went there to hoping to get, like, maybe UFO on camera. Instead, I have a possible Bigfoot
1: uh, encounter. Uh, the name Skinwalker, and I mentioned, you know, the, the, the Native American legend, but tell us a little bit more about... We are coming up on a break. We'll start this conversation right now, and then we'll continue continue after the break. But t- talk to me about the legend of the Skinwalker and where the ranch gets that name.
2: Okay. Well, um, apparently um, Terry uh, had been talking to one of his shaman friends, um, and uh, he, I guess, was discussing what had happened. And um, he was told— um, that the, the area was considered unholy ground and was on the path of the skinwalkers. Now, and that it was an area of spirits and spooks. Uh, and also, Larry Sispooch uh, had you know talked to me a little bit about uh, what a skinwalker is. Um, and I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really know much about it, but uh, I understand that it is a Navajo uh, term. And uh, uh, apparently from um, Ute, Tradition that uh, they had some bad blood between them and the, the Navajo in the past. And uh, apparently, the Navajos uh, in, in retribution had sent the skinwalkers or these skinwalkers, uh, like a shape shifting witch kind of creature, uh, to them to torment them. And apparently, they're very evil creatures and they can uh, transform. Uh, I mean, that's my understanding of what they are.
1: And did you talk to any locals who had actually seen a skinwalker?
2: Um, I can't say I've talked with anyone that admitted seeing them, but, I mean, I had read of accounts of uh, creatures kind of walking across the street um, that were kind of like, well, maybe kind of Bigfoot, kind of like, that, you know, at the time the person thought that uh, that it was skinwalker. Uh,
1: I I, I still, there's a big question mark over me. As to what we're dealing with, are they Bigfoot or are they Skinwalkers? All right, listen, we'll uh, we'll take a time out, Mark, and we'll come back and continue to delve into the Skinwalker Ranch Apocalypse Close Encounters with Mark Capel joining us from New Zealand. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay where you are. Curiosity. Or did the devil
0: make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. The truth is not out there, it's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: We are back with Mark Capel documentary filmmaker and it's called Skinwalker Ranch Apocalypse Close Encounters and uh this fabled uh, tract of land 480 some acres now owned by billionaire entrepreneur Robert Bigelow uh used to be called the UFO Ranch and I mean these sightings uh and these activities go back oh a half a century probably um, and Mark ventured there in 2013 uninvited, uh, didn't attempt to trespass, but uh, uh, attempted to document some uh, paranormal activity sort of along the periphery uh, of, the, uh, of the ranch. And um, I, we we're talking about sort of the origin of the, the name Skinwalker and the Indian legend and so forth. I was in Albuquerque recently uh, and the, uh, near uh, Chaco Canyon National Monument. And my, uh, I was working on a TV show there, and my driver, I, I said to him, uh, because I'd never been to Albuquerque, uh, and I wanted to explore a little bit. I said, "Are there any no-go zones in Albuquerque? Places I need to watch out for?" He said, "I was pretty safe." He said, "Just stay away from," and he pointed. I think it was off in the southeast, and um, he said, "I said, what's that?" And he said, "I now I may be wrong. I believe he called it Hondo Valley." He said, "Stay away from there," and I said, "Why?" And he said, "Well, people just disappear there." He said, I went to, f- to high school with friends that disappeared out there in Hondo Valley. And then he started to talk to me about the skinwalker uh, legend and uh, said that there was reportedly um, a group of uh, witches out there. This was near the Navajo um, Reservation. And he said they that's where they apparently turned people into skinwalkers. Uh, so <laughs> I said, duly noted. I will not head off in that direction. Uh, and he went on to recount some other sort of creepy uh, things that had gone out down out there. But um, is it your understanding, Mark, that that um, skinwalkers are, are? I mean, how are they created? I mean, do they? Do, do people are people abducted? Are they turned into skinwalkers against their their against their will? How does this work?
2: My understanding is that it's somebody that um, chooses that path themselves. Now they have to do something very bad, like kill a loved one, to obtain this power. They have to go through some kind of some mystic kind of ritual to obtain this power. Um, now, the people that do this uh, are doing it for very selfish reasons. And, um, you know, uh, you asked me before, um, you know, had I talked to uh, anyone about what this the skinwalkers are well it's something that people uh i I know the tribes that they don't really like to talk about because it's something that's apparently very evil i mean it's like something that you might find in in voodoo or witchcraft
1: kind of thing right yeah unless you i guess are sort of welcomed into that community they're going to be they're going to play their cards very close to their vest i would understand understandably i mean that's kind of a dark secret uh and so what else, what else uh, did, you, did you document, um, either on film or audio recordings, while you were in and around the Skinwalker Ranch?
2: Uh, I'd just like to go back to the, the first night uh, when I was um, sitting out there. I did capture some other things um, on camera. Um, I, I might say the best thing I could describe them as some sort of plasma form that appeared uh, in the distance on camera, and then disappeared very quickly and morphed away like a ghost. Um, you know, I know there were there were thunderstorms uh, on the horizon. I thought, well, maybe there's something to do with that, but they were kind of really weird. Uh, one was kind of orange and almost like a face. Uh, and when you see it on, on film, it's kind of really weird. Like, what the heck could that be? Uh, so that's, you know, uh, something that I had captured um, that's just in the, the documentary. I had released some uh, other footages, a uh, shorter version of, of the uh, the current
1: film. Now, it's legendary uh, on Skinwalker Ranch for people or around Skinwalker Ranch for people who are investigating to have difficulty with their equipment. Uh, what whatever is behind all of this activity uh, apparently likes to these gremlins like to affect audio and and camera equipment. Did you have any difficulty that way?
2: Um, I didn't have any difficulty, fortunately, but I have had on other investigations. I've had, uh, I'm pretty sensitive to energy around me. Um, I I can sense if there's an entity that's really angry at me, I will sometimes pick up their response to me. They'll tell me to leave, and my equipment will all of a sudden malfunction. Like I've had cameras, and I'll, I'll pick up this 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 angle all of a sudden, and then my my camera will stop working i I can't make it work until after the investigation. It's just really weird stuff like this, and this is very commonplace uh in paranormal investigations you know if you can rule out that well in cold weather, cold weather does you know sap batteries, but you know you can rule out that um you know you know people go in there and they have you know film crews they have you know. Fully charged batteries, all of a sudden they're they're discharged. You know, there's a theory that perhaps these entities uh, are are making use of uh, that energy source to uh, maybe manifest.
1: As a as someone as a student of the metaphysical, what do you think is behind all of this activity? Why are we finding UFO activity, Bigfoot activity, skinwalkers all under in in one area? What's is there a, is there a um, Sort of a common denominator here what's going on? what do you think
2: well um let's see I mean that's a good question uh i know uh Terry sherman he he had experienced a lot he from cattle relations to seeing these uFOs to seeing these portals uh he thought it was you know maybe some sort of secret government operation, and he thought well, you know maybe they're they you know playing some sort of i don't know uh, some sort of uh trick on them or something but um, and uh, you know, other people have seen UFOs in the region, um, uh, and along with these very strange uh, creatures. of this bulletproof wolf for example, um, that was seen, and it uh, couldn't be killed, being shot several times. Uh, they had attacked one of the calves. Uh, I think that it has a lot to do with... Uh, there's at least two portals uh, in the Raj area there uh, where these uh, anonymous... Creatures and craft actually coming through.
1: Alright, two portals. Let's let, let me stop you there. We'll uh, we'll take a break, we'll come up and we'll pick on pick up on that point. These portals, is that what's present at the Skinwalker Ranch that is allowing these entities to pass from one dimension into this dimension? Back with more. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped,
0: call now. 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740.
1: Mark Capel stays with us. We're talking about the Skinwalker Ranch, this 400-acre, 480-acre spread uh, located in, I guess it's south of Ballard, Utah. Uh, the ranch was uh, has been purchased by billionaire entrepreneur uh, Robert Bigelow, and it's now kind of locked up tight. It's like Area 51; you can't get in there. But but uh, Mark Capel arrived there with um, recording equipment in hand in 2013, and um, has documented. Um, his encounters in his new documentary film, Skinwalker Ranch, Apocalypse, Close Encounters. How do people see the film, by the way, Mark?
2: Uh, yes, they can go to my blog, uh, hauntedman.net, and there's a link to the documentary on there. There's also uh, free YouTube uh, videos that they can see uh, of other investigations and also post uh, more information uh, about the Skinwalker Ranch and what's
1: Gone on there history wise you mentioned the uh, the this the bulletproof wolf uh talk to me a little bit about that story in detail
2: okay well um the first day that they moved in there uh they had strange things happen and uh my understanding is that they uh according to um calm Colors and and um, Knapp's book uh when they arrived on the property, they were unpacking their things and um uh, I guess they were over by their corral there because uh they had moved there to uh, breed this high end um, stock. They noticed uh this giant wolf that just kind of like meandered um, up to them uh like it was a pet uh, it was really huge and uh it it kind of approached them wasn 't afraid of them at all and it uh it walked all the way up to them and uh then it uh, approached uh, a calf that i guess it had its head out. Out of the the fence there, and actually attacked the calf around its throat. And now they were terrified about what happened. And uh, you know they tried kicking this wolf. I guess it was like a dire wolf. Now these things haven't been seen in ten thousand years. Now, this is an extinct um, creature. Uh, anyway, they're they're you know they're trying to get this thing off their calf, and uh, it's ha- they're having no avail uh, trying to kick it off and. So um, he gets uh, his, his handgun, uh, and uh, he shoots at point-blank range uh, about three times. And this is and a three hundred fifty
1: seven you know, Magnum, reportedly. This is a powerful gun.
2: Correct, yes. And, you know, that should have, that should have got the thing off. It should have you know, killed it. And uh, that had no effect. It was a very little reaction. And uh, he um, had got his hunting rifle. Now he was a marksman and a hunter, very, very uh, very good. He was used to uh, hunting game and that. Uh, and he uh, shot this thing uh, again with the hunting rifle. And uh, the, you know, th- these rounds would have brought down an elk easily. Um, and this thing eventually let, let go of this poor carp that was ble- bleeding profusely. And it just started wandering off out into the pasture. And um, I guess they were stunned. They couldn't believe their eyes what had just happened. And uh it just uh it just to let you know too, a piece of flesh had been shot off
1: um off of the wolf off the wolf off,
2: off the wolf Correct. after like
1: this is like after five or six slugs, right? Correct, yes, um, this thing should have been taken now this they knew
2: there was something extremely strange about this event, and uh so uh this thing just well wandered off, and they're like, "What the heck just happened?" so they there they go after this wolf. And uh it, it wanders off past uh you know, some trees. They're they're trying to pursue it and uh I I guess it goes through um some thicket of, of trees and that's some pretty thick scrub and they follow its tracks. It left some uh left some deep deep tracks um in the mud uh close to a waterway there and then the tracks just suddenly disappeared. Um and, you know, the the wolf or whatever it was, you know, couldn't have jumped out of the way and just disappeared uh they they figured uh they they tried to track it and they these uh these prints just stopped and uh uh he went back and um there's this uh piece, a piece of rotting flesh um on the ground um you know very strange, no blood and you know i'm I'm thinking uh you know I read about this, I think well you know is this something that's not alive and somehow been reanimated uh there's no blood inside this thing, you know, you know not a a normal biological creature
1: and i and I understand that the the piece of of flesh that was the chunk that was blown off by one of the bullets it it smelled like rotten meat Correct, yes, so you know what can you
2: surmise from this it, Was it a a dead creature that somehow you
1: know who knows it it's very bizarre. And I guess over the years, this this family uh, sort of reported a kind of a menagerie of of weird animals that they saw. Didn't they see something very similar to that animal attacking a horse? Uh, Um, It was like a a, a wolf like ant. I think they described it as a kind of a muscular hyena, weighed something like 200 pounds, they estimated.
2: Yes, I, I've read of that story. Uh, apparently, the the poor horse had got its legs cut um, some way, and whatever this this beast did, I, I I don't know what actually happened to the beast afterwards. But uh, there was just an array of very strange events. It was very frightening events. Uh,
1: tell me about uh, this junior Hicks, um, who's kind of, I guess, the uh, the amateur historian of the area. Um, yeah, what, yeah um, Is he still around and what did what did he tell you? Um I didn't get to interview him. Um just um from accounts that I've read um
2: from publications and that. Um he was a um a science teacher locally and um uh I guess he was pretty high up in the, the local church there and uh um uh he had said that um that there were a lot of uh, UFO sightings in the Uinta Basin. And, uh, you know, ever since the 60s and 70s, there were probably more UFO sightings there uh, in the Uinta Basin than anywhere else in the world. He had gathered over 400 uh, reports from locals who had gone to him. Now, some of these accounts are... uh, Even the the whole school had, had seen these craft in broad daylight, and I I've know, know there's situations in other parts of the world like in Australia and South Africa where uh, schools have seen um, – you know daytime, they had daytime sightings of, of uh, this craft. But now he was uh, – I understand that he got to um, uh, go onto the, the ranch in the early days. Um, I believe that NIDS uh, allowed him to work with them and um, – he uh, went and investigated, um, you know, some of these like impressions in the grass, like circular impressions and triangular impressions. Just kind of really, you know, weird stuff. I, I think
1: had, I, had, I think I'd read where he had estimated that uh, of the fifty thousand or so people who live in that basin, half of them had seen a UFO. Twenty-five thousand out of the fifty thousand had seen a UFO in that area. That's quite remarkable.
2: Yes, yes, there's a very high amount of people who have experienced things. And so if you ever go to the area, you know, if you live in that area, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to see something sometime. Now, I've had responses uh, from people uh, who, who lived next door to the Shermans who who said this was nothing but a load of rubbish and it was made up uh, by the Shermans just to sell the property. And uh, I'm thinking, well... If you want to sell this properly, uh, you don't make up stories about uh, creatures uh, you know, killing the cattle and uh, all these
1: other weird things. I think if anything, that would detract most people. <laughs> yes, under normal circumstances. That's true. Uh, are people flocking there? Has it become kind of um, uh, like Area 51 where you've got a lot of, of – Tourists and so forth, who just are hoping to get a glimpse of things—not necessarily serious researchers—but just, I mean, has it become like a pilgrimage? Uh yes, very much
2: so. Uh, you know, anybody that's into the paranormal—I mean, if you don't know of Skinwalker Ranch, you're missing out on something. Now, you know, uh, you know, people could say, "Oh, well, it's just a you know a load, of, a load of rubbish," but you know, why would Robert Bigelow, who owns an aerospace company, spend so much money and resources. He uh, had doctorate-level scientists go, and they, they, they set up a, a big operation to try to observe what was going on there. They had former astronauts, you know, physicists, engineers, uh, biologists. Uh, it was a pretty amazing you know, private operation they, they had going there. Any plans to go back? Uh, I would love to go back,
1: um, uh, just unable to at the, at the time. And uh, I'm curious about the uh, the subtitle of the, of the documentary, "Apocalypse: Close Encounters." What do you mean by apocalypse?
2: Well, apocalypse meaning uh, well. At the time, I didn't realize something very strange had happened. Um, not until after that, when I reviewed my footage, you know what I had these the strange plasma-like anomalies that appeared, and um, I've got voices calling out for help. Um, very just very strange non-human kinds of voices. Um, I you know that actually had approached me. Now a lot of times when you're uh, recording um, what they call electronic voice or EVPs, um, you don't hear them at the time. Not until you you know play back your footage. And there's different grades of EVPs. Uh, you know you want to capture the best quality. You know we can hear what they're saying very clearly. Uh, you know I had one voice that said to me countdown to being poor and I wonder if that was a premonition but just very strange things like that I I got like a screaming um, like a woman screaming over the ghost box Uh, I was doing a uh, you know towards the end of our investigation I actually uh, transitioned spirits over um, because I've had some experiences Uh, I had this this sound like this woman that's screaming through the the ghost box and that and uh, uh, I, I asked the spirits, you know, what's going on over here? I tried to gather intel about what was going on. You know, one of them said hell. Now, some other very interesting things that I got responses uh, about what was going on, um, and these were surprises to me. One was demon, that which was repeated again and again, and Bigfoot.
1: Hmm. Fascinating. So,
2: you know, it was just very kind of you know bizarre, you know, some of the things that the, the recording did You listen to uh, recordings I've got, they're very strange voices, Um, you know, not normal tones of voice.
1: We should also point out uh, the year before you arrived, in 2012, there was a um, a UFO sighting there, a major uh, saucer craft sighting, uh, and knocked out electricity uh, in, in the entire area.
2: Oh, yes. Uh, that was a major sighting scene by at least dozens of people. Now, uh, when I uh, spoke with uh, Larry Susbridge, uh, he did um, tell me about this, and he told me that some of his people that do the sweat ceremony actually saw this craft. Uh, actually, a lot of people saw this. Uh, there's uh, a man by the name of Corey Serwap, who was a, a security guard, and he was in a... Uh, facility for our, uh, substance abuse. and he said the, the power had got knocked out. Uh, this was on February 12th of 2012. Uh,
1: right listen, two. I, I apologize Mark, I got to cut, cut it uh, here because we are out of time, but we'll have to have you okay. back on. Uh, in the meantime, okay. Skinwalker Ranch, Apocalypse Close Encounters. And um, how can people see that again?
2: Yes, just go to hauntedman.net, and they can go through there. And I've got a special on there. If they go in the, the, the next 48 hours, they'll uh, get a reduced price
1: to rent it online. Thanks so much, Mark. A real pleasure. We'll talk again. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, Jonathan Franz, thank you. Back next week with a brand new show. See you then. Good night.